And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, and my pal, Pierre Lebrun, as he always is, joining me from across the airways in Toronto. It's a pretty big day for us, Pierre. Pretty pretty big day, pretty important guest, so uh, I'll ask you very briefly, how are you doing and how excited are you? I'm absolutely thrilled and excited to be a part of your program here, um, to join you two guys and look forward forward to the conversation we're going to have but uh, pretty excited about uh, you know obviously what we accomplished last season getting to the Stanley Cup finals uh, unfortunately losing in six games but we uh, we got about as much out of that team as we could and I'm pretty excited they'd be able to say that I'm going to be around for a couple of more years anyways and hopefully finish the job that we started this year. And, and in case anyone is wondering, that is Rick Bonus talking to us on the Two Man Advantage podcast. Scotty, forgetting the name part of the introduction, but I know Scotty, what was going on is you you were trying to get me to jump in before Rick, but I just felt that our guest, the timing of having Rick Bonus on our podcast this week, was so impeccable that I thought I'd let him go first. But yeah, Rick, the news. Uh, Today that uh, you've signed a, a new contract, uh, of course, it wasn't a secret that uh, GM Jim Neal had told the media a couple weeks ago that uh, the interim tag had been lifted. But of course, you still needed to uh, to get a deal done. And I'm curious, every, every coach does this a bit differently. Some coaches have agents, some coaches do their own thing and then have a lawyer look at it. How, how do you go about your, your business? I did it on my own. Uh, we've got a great president of our NHL Coaching Association in Mike Hersfield. And he keeps us up to breast, uh, up to speed on uh, the contracts around the league, uh, what guys are making, uh, what we should be looking for. So he was a big asset to me. But at my age, Pierre, <laughs> I, I think I can handle it by myself. I know what, uh, what the market is. I know what my value is. And, you know, it, it, it's not about the money for me, Pierre. It's just about the opportunity to continue to coach and, um, and stay with the Dallas Stars. That, that's the most important thing. So... The money, honestly, at this stage of my life is secondary. Uh, I still love coaching. I still love the uh, I still love the excitement that the games and the practice and the whole deal brings to us every day. Um, so, again, I, yes, I'm very happy with the deal I've got. And uh, again, most important for me and my family is that you know we love Dallas. We love working with the Dallas Stars. And hopefully uh, we can take this team another step and finally win that Stanley Cup. But we've got some unfinished business too, and that's the that's the exciting part of it that uh, we can still get better. And uh, we, again, we just have to keep pushing until we finally win that thing. 
Rick, you mentioned Game 6, Stanley Cup Final, uh, obviously an unprecedented uh, playoff situation for for everyone. And I I wonder what that that period of time was like after Game 6 and then finally leaving the bubble in in Edmonton where you guys had been for so long and then getting back to Dallas and trying to decompress and and really assess all that had happened there. I wonder if you can walk us through that. What was that? What was that process like, and and maybe was it different than you imagined it was going to be? Uh, it was different. Uh, I don't think you can prepare yourself for something that you've never done before. And uh, we talked a lot with our team prior to going into Edmonton uh, that we're just going to have to learn to roll with the punches on a day-to-day basis and just deal with whatever comes up. But when you're in a, that bubble situation, um uh, Again, it's it's it is it is day to day. Your practice times changed, uh, your game times changed, your dressing rooms changed. Your, you know, so there was just a lot of variables that we had to deal with. But we went in with the right frame of mind that okay, whatever happens, we deal with. Then we had that three day pause, as you know, in the middle of it. Um, so that it then was through everyone's timetable off as well. But you, you look back, and it's it, it was it was Groundhog Day in there, man. It was it was really tough living. Um, I give the league a ton of credit. They did everything they could to keep us safe, which was the most important thing. And we all felt safe walking around the rinks and through the hotels and the restaurants. So that was, that was good. But living like that, and you're very restricted to where you could go, when you could go there, um, that, that was tough. There's no question. There's nothing about the bubble I miss. I gotta be honest with you, uh, but it was well worth it at the end. Um, you know, as long as you're winning and you and you you keep pushing forward and you're get, you're moving and advancing in rounds, you can tolerate it. But we couldn't get out of there fast enough when it was all over. Uh, we got out of there Tuesday morning after the loss on Monday night, um, and it and it and it took a while. My wife was shocked when I got off the bus. <laughs> she looked at me and she said, "Wow, you know." So, but it was nine plus weeks in there. Uh, we didn't get out. You had to make an honestly. You had to make an effort to get outside. The hotel and the rink were connected, and you just you, you, you. I went a couple of times, a couple of days without getting even getting outside, hmm. because you just you're doing your work, you're going to practice, you're coming back, getting ready for the next game. So we had to make a concerted effort at times just to get outside and get some fresh air and sun. But that all being said, listen, it was worth it uh, just to get to the Stanley Cup Finals and have a shot at it. The decompression, for sure, it, it took a while. It usually takes me a couple of weeks after the end of the season uh, to unwind and get rested again and, and get the batteries going again, char- recharged again. And, and, and was, this year was no different. But I'll be honest, I couldn't get out of there fast enough as much as I love competing for the Stanley Cup. Uh, but it was a challenge, but the challenge was well worth it because, again, we won and we had a shot to win. You know, Rick, one thing that I thought about a lot as as your team kept winning and winning and winning during those nine and a half weeks is that you and I, uh, as you remember, had a conversation in June. I wrote a story about, uh, you know, older coaches, COVID, uh, unanswered questions, and, and, and you were, as always, so transparent and, and honest about your feelings at the time because you still didn't have all the answers about your, um, you know, your, your anxiety about you know, coaching in COVID and, and, and what it was going to be like to the point where uh, 
you didn't come out 100% and guarantee you were going to be behind the bench. And, and I thought that took a lot of courage because I think you were saying things that I think a lot of coaches were thinking. And of course, yeah. you're obviously got your answers and, and felt comfortable doing it. But isn't that crazy when we look back at that conversation you and I had? Yeah, no, and there was, you're right. There, I, would, I wasn't sure I was going to go. And if you recall, the first two days of our training camp, I didn't go on the ice. I stayed in the background with a mask on until all the tests came back from our players. Uh, it was uncomfortable uh, at my age. Um, you know, we're a little more vulnerable <laughs> to this COVID-19. So I was very cautious early. And uh, but one thing Jim Neal kept telling me was that the safest place we're going to be is when we get to the bubble. And he was absolutely right. And again, a lot of questions going in there. How are they going to protect us? Because uh, that was the most important thing. Um, and when you got there and, and, you, and you saw the, uh, the, the precautions that the league had taken, I felt a, a lot more comfortable once I got there and saw the, uh, the, 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 the protocol that we had to go through to stay safe and being tested every morning and everyone wearing masks wherever we went and uh, no really outsiders other than the National Hockey League players and staffs around the team uh, made you feel safe as well. But I was still a little, uh, a little pessimistic going into Edmonton. I wasn't sure what it was going to be look like because people can tell you, yeah, we're going to do this, this and do all mm -hmm. these things until you actually get there and see it and live it. Um, you, you, there, is a, there was a little bit of doubt in my mind. But once I got there after a few days, I was far more comfortable. But again, when you and I were talking, uh, then you, there was there was no guarantee. It was 50-50 at best for me at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, I was even there. Again, I was nervous going into training camp, all the players coming and going and all the people coming and going. But we all had masks on during um, in, the, in the locker room. We, we, and again, I stood on the bench for two days with the mask on. I did not want to go on the ice until I... We got all the positive tests back from the, or the negative tests, I should say, back from all the players and staff. So that's when I started to feel a little bit more comfortable uh, about where we were going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rick, Pierre and I have talked a lot since the end of the, the, the return to play and the playoff competition about teams that, you know, had an opportunity to really learn about themselves and maybe learn about some players that might not otherwise have had this kind of opportunity. When I look at this Dallas Stars team, it, it, to me, it's such an interesting, it was such an interesting journey for you and your players because there, there were veteran players like Joe Pavelski and Corey Perry and Jamie Benn who really, you know, sort of rose and, and seized the moment. But you also had a lot of kids who were like, oh, wait a minute, like, who is Yoel Kiviranta? Like, where, where did that kid come from? And yet made such meaningful impacts on your team. And I wonder, you know, when you package that all together, maybe what it is you felt you learned about this roster, maybe, you know, looking at both the kids and some of those veteran players. Well, it, let's talk about a couple of things there. It, it, one of the things we, we talked about from December on was that a lot of the players that you were just mentioned had never been by the second round. So, and it, when I talked to them about that, it was never like I was throwing it in their face. It was just, uh, just a, me a strong message of how difficult it is, A, to get in the playoffs, and B, just to keep winning. So a lot of the players that had been here for a few years, uh, I, it was a weekly reminder, guys, you, you, we've never got by the second round here. We have, we've got a long way to go. And again, not throwing it in their face whatsoever in this league. 
and you look at Pavelski and you look at Corey Perry, they've been around the league 14, 15 years. They've been to the finals once each. That's how difficult it is. And they've had outstanding careers, as we all know. But so you, you take the, and then you take the young guys that you talked about, and it's their first experience. Dennis Gary on our TV. Uh, they'd never been in the playoffs before and played important roles for us. And it, and it took an injury for Kiwi to even get in our lineup. So, uh, and then he took full advantage of it. But it was a great growth, we're hoping, for our younger players. And it was a good reminder for our veterans that, man, it, it's tough to get there. And it's hard and very difficult to get by the second round, past the third round, and into the finals. So I'm hoping, and we'll be talking about that a lot over the next couple of months as we prepare for training camp, whenever that's going to be, that we we, 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 we took a big step, but we still have more. It's still There's still room to go. We still have to take another step to get to the finals again and win it, the Stanley Cup this time around. But again, there's no guarantee any team's going to make the playoffs next year with injuries and the schedule that's going to come out. And it's a tough league to win, as you guys know. So those conversations started last December when I took over. And um, they they lasted right through until the last till the last puck was dropped and the last whistle went. So uh, our guys learned a lot about themselves. We learned a lot about ourselves as a staff and a lot about our team. And that being said, there's no room for complacency or comfort. We still have a ways to go. And, uh, and, we're, and that's going to be the attitude we take when we get going again. Well, and you mentioned the upcoming season, Rick. You're right about who knows, because that's about the only way I can describe it right now. But eventually, the you know the league and the NHLPA will come to some kind of uh, a plan. And uh, and either way, I think we're looking at a really compressed schedule, no matter when it starts and, and how it looks. It's going to be compressed, I think, for sure. And you know, the importance of having a couple of goalies that you trust is just going to be paramount to me. And, I, you know, you guys have been on this for a while now. You're one of the first teams to to have that philosophy in terms of, of not playing one guy all the time. How important is that going to be, you think, next season? Uh, you know, to have a healthy Ben Bishop with the return of Anton Hudobin, who maybe gave you a bit of a heart palpitation there when he went to market briefly, but uh, he's back in the vault. <laughs> Yeah, we're lucky to have Doby back. Uh, as you know, he's a huge part of this team, and you're absolutely right. In today's game, and especially with what's going to come up next season, with the condensed schedule, you absolutely have to have two goalies that are, are capable of playing in this league, and just as important, have the trust of the players playing in front of them. We, we you know, I know a lot of people were surprised at Doby's play in the playoffs. Well, we weren't, actually, because uh, he had played like that the, when we signed him two years ago. He, every game he played, he gave us everything he could. He's a tremendous competitor, and uh, it's hard to describe his style other than he'll do whatever he can to stop <laughs> the puck. And that's why the players love playing in front of him. You know what you're going to get. So as, as much as a surprise where people were that hadn't seen him play a lot, we weren't, uh, but we were very fortunate, to have, very fortunate to have him when Bish went down. And there's no question going into next year, you are going to need two top A goalies. That to help you get into the playoffs. One guy cannot will not be able to carry the load next year. And the guy that you put in in the games that he doesn't play, your team is going to have to have a ton of confidence in him. And we're fortunate to be in that position. Yeah, Rick, as, as Pierre alluded to, I mean, there's so much uh, unknown about uh, what lies ahead and when and all those kinds of things. And then here we are, we're chatting with you. The ink barely dry on your new deal that you know formalizes your role as head coach. 
do you have a, a plan and with you and your coaching staff, how you want to try and, you know, sort of get back into sort of a rhythm leading up to whenever training camp comes or are you still in are you still in a sort of a quiet mode or how do you how do you start to pick up the pieces and and prepare for for another sort of set of the unknowns when you think about the 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 coming season well we've already had a discussion on the years that we feel we, we need to improve next year uh last year at the pause i gave them all responsibilities in terms of breaking down other teams and looking at teams a lot more closely because we had the time to do it. Uh, we'll, we'll take some things from the, the good things that we did in the playoff run and some look at some areas that we have to improve in. Uh, we had great meetings last year with the staff prior to training camp, and we've already had those discussions again uh, that we, the staff will meet be, uh, whenever camp starts a couple of weeks before camp. And, and we'll get together and uh, and formalize those plans. Uh, but there'll be a lot, there'll be constant communication with me and the staff right up until that point. I've already told them the areas that I feel we have to improve in, and uh, we're getting input from them. But right now, like uh, John Stevens is in New Jersey, Derek Laxell's in Winnipeg, uh, Todd Nelson is in Michigan, and there's Jeff Reese and I here in Dallas. And actually, I'm heading back to Nova Scotia for the month of November. Uh, so we're going to be spread out, but that's why we have Zoom calls these days, right? So uh, we'll, we'll we'll be constantly communicating with the, not only the staff, but it's important that we continue our communication with our team and to lay out the the goals of our for our players prior to training camp. So I, we don't want to throw any surprises at our team when we start when we do start training camp. So what we did last year or before we came back was there was emails, there was phone calls, just preparing the players for what we were going to do, the changes we were going to make, and we will take the same approach going into next season. Rick, I'm always fascinated about, you know, guys have been both uh, an, an assistant or associate coach and a head coach back and forth in their careers, which is the case for you. And in particular, when the change happened so quick, like it did last year, when you replaced Jim Montgomery, and we should take the moment to certainly wish Jim the best now that he's back in the league and joined the blue staff. Um, but you're thrust into a position that you didn't see coming, obviously, before the season. I'm always curious about the good cop, bad cop routine between being, you know, the associate and then you, you become the head coach, how you change or maybe you didn't change in terms of how you have to deal with players. I know that sounds like a dumb question, but I, I'm fascinated by that part of coaching. No, actually, it's not a dumb question whatsoever. And it's, it's funny. Well, you know, my son Ryan is a director of pro scouting for Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. and so when I got the job, he said, Dad, don't change. <laughs> so I said, thanks, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for that tip. But uh, as, yeah, but you're right because some guys are assistant coaches. Then they get the head coaching job and they completely change. And that, I guess it's probably my age and my experience. I didn't look at it that way at all. I mean, I've been around the league a long time, doing things my way, and I, and I wasn't going to change that. Now, you got to be a little harder because you are determining ice time now for everyone and not just the defense that I ran for, for so long. Uh, but other than that, um, I, I've always tried to build a good relationship and a good, uh, with open communication with all the players. And I've always had that. And I, and I wasn't going to lose that. I wasn't going to change the way I deal with players. I've done it this way for so long. Uh, you, you can't, 
it's hard when you change like that because then there, yeah, the coach, the players, they know, well, look, he's changed and that's not the way he was before. And I didn't, I didn't want those conversations amongst the players. So uh, I, I was myself, Pierre. Honestly, I didn't change a thing. Um, just keep the communication going open or wide open all the time. Uh, I had built a good rapport with all the players regardless, and I wasn't going to lose that. Now, that being said, again, it, you, you had to be, there was times you had to bench guys and um, sit them down for a bit and, and then go, go to explain it to them a little bit after. But so that, that, that's, that's to be expected though, when you're the head coach. So I don't think the players minded that whatsoever, but I did, I did take the approach that I'm not changing. This is the way I've done it for so long. Uh, this is who I am. This is how I've coached my whole career and I'm not going to change now. So I didn't. That's a good. Wasn't a stupid question, Pierre. Well, question. well, no, it's it, it, but 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 you know, it, it, like in all seriousness, no, like I think sometimes it's a it's like I didn't think it'd be hard for you because you've worn so many different hats over the many decades that you've coached. But I think, for example, I wonder if Todd Reardon, the next time he ever gets a shot at head coach, will do things a bit differently. You know, just because he learned. You know, uh, um, you know, Bob Bugner now gets another crack, right? It, it, yeah. it's, I, I just find the whole evolution of coaching interesting when you've worn the different hats and you realize the do's and don'ts of it. That's all. I Listen, it. I've made plenty of mistakes over my career, so you learn. <laughs> For you sure. Get a little older and then you get just a little more comfortable. Okay, look, it's, it's an imperfect game, Pierre, as we know. It's, it, it, it'll never be a perfect game. And it's not supposed to be. That's what makes it so exciting. So everyone's going to make mistakes and you just roll with them. And I, and I tell the players that, listen, everything I tell you is it's not going to work to a T. And if it doesn't, then we'll adjust it. We'll make changes. And everything, every game you play is not going to be Picasso. So we just, you know, we deal with the situation that's at a, in front of us and, uh, and we adjust. So the mistakes you make, you, you learn from. And you can't be stubborn to the point um, where okay, I'm going to do it my way, and that's the end of it. You can't do that either today. So you just you just have to be flexible. Players have to understand. You have to understand. It's an imperfect game. Everything you want them to do is not going to work. People always talk about what adjustments do you make. Well, you make adjustments when what you want them to do, is, they're doing it to a T, and it's not working. You don't make adjustments when they're not doing exactly what you want them to do. You've got to see your game plan. And if it's not working, then you make adjustments. So mm. there's pressure on the players. This is what we're doing. They've got to do it to a T. And if it doesn't work, then it's the responsibility of the coach and say, okay, look, you, you're doing exactly what I wanted you to do. It's not working. we got to try this. So that's, what you ha that's the adjustments and the flexibility you have to have as a coach today. Yeah. Well, Rick, I I just wanted to piggyback on Pierre's question because I wondered if there was a period during this year, um, and you, we talked about it. You're going to be 66 in in January, presumably when you know maybe right around the start of the the next uh, season. But was there a moment where you thought, okay, maybe this will be it for me, or whether right from the get go, um, and, and when you took over as the interim head coach, whether you felt that you know I want to I want to keep doing this, or whether that was an evolution for you um, as the season went along? No, honestly, it, Scott, it's, I've always told Judy, my wife, and my kids, the day I wake up and I don't want to go to the rink, then that's the day I'm going to retire. And I, uh, I, uh, I've never had a day like that. So <laughs> <laughs> even when I took over, anyway, at the end, we were, you know, we lost six in a row or something. And, you know, I wake up and I go to bed 
I go to bed thinking, okay, we're going to be better tomorrow. And I wake up, okay, we're going to, we're going to get them going today. That, as long as I wake up with those attitudes, okay, I can't wait to get to the rink. I can't wait to deal with the guys. I can't wait to get on the ice and fix what's going wrong. Then, you know, I'm going to keep going here. Uh, but again, with that day, wake, I wake up and, oh, God, I, I don't want to deal with this today. I don't want to go to the rink. Then I know it's time. And I know I'll be 66 in January, and uh, I'm hoping that I'm going to last a couple of more years at least. So uh, we're going to keep pushing here as long as we love it. And uh, listen, I'm not smart enough to do anything else, right? So, <laughs> so <laughs> I know that but, feeling. So, I, I, I know I was, that feeling. I was going to say you, you, you and us both, you and us both. But but it, but it is it's interesting. I mean, first of all, I think good things happen to good people, and and you're proof of that, Rick. Uh, you know signing this deal and, and, and getting this chance late in your career to be a head coach again. Because you and I have talked over the years, right? I mean, you, you always wonder, some of it, so much of it seems out of your control sometimes in the coaching world about whether you'll get another crack at it or not, you know? And, and listen, you, you know, you, you had some great gigs as associates and assistants, I think, of your time in Tampa. But you always wonder, right? I mean, what does it actually take for a, for a team or a GM to... To, 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 I guess, to look at you in, the, in that lens again, I guess would be the way yeah, to put it. Yeah, you know, I, it's, a good, it's a good point. Um, I, it, it's been so long since I've been a head coach, but I never, I always wanted one kick at it, one more kick at it. I did, and as a head coach. And I interviewed in Anaheim a couple of years ago, and as you know, I talked to Ottawa last year. They, they hired the right guys for their situations, and I, there was no uh, ill feelings towards that whatsoever. But in the back of my mind, you know, you're, you're, I've been around the league a long time, as you know, and I've worked with a lot of good coaches and you, you watch how they do things and, you know, you're always saying, okay, I would have done this or I would have done, I'd like to have my input in more so in some of those situations. Mm -hmm. So it was always in the back of my mind. I, if I didn't get it, I didn't get it. Uh, I, I know I work hard and I know I give everything I can every day and you, you live with that more than anything. Um, but I was in the back of my mind. I always wanted one more legitimate kick at it. Like I, if somebody offered me a position uh, on a team that's going to take four or five years to be, rebuild, then I wouldn't take that at this stage. I want to take. I want if I'm going to get a shot at it, I want to have a shot at winning. And some of those teams I coached in the past had no chance of winning. And I, I've been through that, and I didn't. I didn't need to do that again at all. But I did want another kick at a good team that had a chance to winning. And fortunately, you know, I said, listen, Jim Montgomery's a great coach, and I'm with you, Pierre. I'm happy for him to get back in the league. And he'll be a big asset to that staff in, in St. Louis, and he'll help make them a better team. Uh, it's, it's, it, it just fell on my lap. And I said, listen, I'm going to run with this thing. And it, maybe it only lasted for that last year. Who knew how this was going to unfold? No one did, man. Jimmy, Neil, and I had the agreement, okay, look, let's get through the year, and we'll reevaluate it at the end. We'll see where we want to go. And, and he was great. He said, look, maybe you're going to get there, and you don't want to do this job. And so let's just keep it open, keep the door open of what, where we go with this next. And fortunately, things went pretty well for us, and uh, they wanted me back, and I wanted to come back as, an, as a, a, a take another kick at it. So it's worked out. It's, it's worked out. But I, if you're, you're absolutely right. In the back of my mind, uh, there was always, geez, I'd like one more kick at being a head coach and take mm -hmm. a real shot at winning. So I was fortunate to get the opportunity. Well, and, and, and if you believe in hockey karma, they owed you one for the roster they gave you on those expansion, uh, expansion Ottawa Senators <laughs> team. And it's funny, I always think of, I think of you with that team and also a couple other coaches and their expansion teams from the early 90s because 
it's like when you guys saw the different rules now for Vegas when they came out of the shoot. And that's hey, listen, Gerard Gallant did an unbelievable job, like one of the best coaching jobs that I've seen in a long time with expansion Vegas. But you know that the, the roster Vegas gets and the roster Seattle gets compared to what you guys got in 1992. Oh my goodness, Pierre, we were so bad they changed the expansion rules the very next year when Florida. Honestly, they did. They changed the rules. We right. were so bad. And remember, in 92, I think every team could protect their top two goalies, their top five or six defensemen, their top oh 10 goodness. or 11 forwards. And we were getting third goalies, uh, seven, eight defensemen, 13, 14, 15 forwards. So uh, we were so bad. And maybe, you know, it's bad coaching too. But uh, they, they changed <laughs> the draft rules next year for Florida and, and Anaheim. And good thing. <laughs> Mike, I oh remember God. opening night. You guys beat Montreal, and, and the yeah. I, think, I think it was Roy McGregor who, whose column. And the, 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 there's still a picture of that article, I think, outside the press box uh, in the rink in Ottawa, where it says maybe, maybe Rome was built in a day. <laughs> no, no, it yeah. wasn't. <laughs> no, God. we we won that game. I don't think we touched the puck for the next eight games. Right? <laughs> the next night we went into Quebec City. I think they beat us eight two. In reality, quick and set it pretty right. quick. But yeah, at least we won opening night. Uh, yeah, I don't think we touched the puck the rest of October. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good stuff, Rick. Well, listen, it's been so great to to hang out with you, and so you know, so great to to share in your your big day with your new contract. But you mentioned early on you were headed back to New Brunswick, which is where you're from. No, Nova uh, Scotia. Nova Scotia. Oh, Scotty, hey. good job. Way to go, buddy. Born, wow. You know what? Ever since Scotty moved in... to the to the U.S. full time, he's forgotten his Canadian roots. Unbelievable. Yeah, but listen, Scott, Rick, you're right. What... I was born in Moncton, New Brunswick. There you go. Yes. Yeah, so... My dad was playing senior hockey there at the time, so I was born in January. And at the end, and in that era, like the Maritime Senior Hockey League was probably comparable to at least the American Hockey League. A lot of good players. Only six teams in the league then. And in that era. Uh, they gave my dad a job during the day and he played hockey at night for this local senior team. And after that season, we moved back to Halifax. So, but you're right. I was born in, in New Brunswick, but Halifax, Nova Scotia has been my home for my life. Well, that's good. And actually, my uh, my brother lives just side, outside of Halifax. So, in spite of Pierre's digging at me, I'm still uh, I still got my <laughs> finger on the pulse of Canadian right. geography. But but I was going to ask you, uh, you I was just looking at uh, at uh, at your coaching record. It's probably been a while since you've been back uh, in Atlantic Canada in the heart of November. Right. I got to tell you, you you may not you may not get any golf in there. And I wonder what what's it like for you to be able to go back and and to spend some time, even if it's it's an unusual part of the, the the calendar year for you to head back home. Well, you know what? You're absolutely right. We've never been there in November. We've owned this. So I had this home built about 25 years ago. We've never been there in April or May, and we've never been there in November. So this is one strange year. And we, us- we usually call it our summer home. Well, now it was our, our spring and fall home. So, <laughs> but we are like, we know though the golf course closes, I think, October 31st. Uh, so yeah, there won't be any golf, but we, you know, I've got a couple of acres there, and, and both Judy and I love being outside working in the yard. That's how we relax, and it's going to be a lot colder, but we look forward to that. You talk about being able to decompress. That's where I do it the best when I get back to the lake, and uh, it's funny. I got a, a Sid Crosby and, and Nathan McKinnon. They're on my lake, and I, I got a oh. text from Sid a while ago about, are you back home yet? 
I said, no, but I'll be back home in November. You'll probably be back in Pittsburgh by then. So, but no, honestly, we do look for. I know the weather won't be great, but we want to get back and see our family and friends. Uh, usually we spend the summer with them. We haven't spent any time with them. So we'll go back. We'll have our two-week quarantine. There's no question about that. We won't be leaving the property, but then we'll take a couple of weeks to catch up with everyone. And then we'll come back here in December and get ready to go whenever they call us to get going. Well, so Rick, what you're, so what you're saying is despite your despite the nice raise you got and the new contract you got in Dallas, you don't make the most money on your lake. Uh, no, I don't. I'm way down behind. There's a lot of people on that list. <laughs> and I'm well, not nearly as well known as those two. So oh, that's for sure. Down, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as it, it you, you know, well, I I hope it doesn't get awkward if you're passing uh, Nathan McKinnon on his boat, or if you pass in town or whatever after what happened in the playoffs. I, I hope there are no hard feelings between the two of you after after the Stars were able to uh, to uh, dramatically eliminate Nathan and the uh, and the Avs. That, that that'll that'll be interesting. No, Nate was very good when we went to shaking hands. He said, the province of Nova Scotia is behind you now, so keep it going. <laughs> so he was great, and Sid's the same way. So um, they're at the far end of the lake, and I'm at, they're at the north end. I'm at the southwest corner. So um, the, anyways, there won't be any boats on the lake in November. I was going to say. Right. When, I, <laughs> when I took it out of the water last year, uh, it was shrink-wrapped and put in the driveway, and it's still sitting there shrink-wrapped in the driveway. So it hasn't moved since last Last, uh, last September. So no, the, the, the question is when you get the skate on your lake before you get back yeah. to Dallas. But yeah. <laughs> well, my neighbors sent me pictures over the course of last winter, and there was a couple of days where the lake was frozen, and they it, it just looked like it was perfect. I said, "Days, I'd love to be out there one day." But those those days are coming down the road. We're no hurry to do that. <laughs> Very good. Well, Rick, thank you for coming and hanging out with us, and so pleased for you and and your success in Dallas, and and of course your uh, now your your chance to to take another step forward after uh, after this uh, run to the final. And congratulations on your new contract, and 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 all the best to you. And thanks for hanging out well, with Pierre and I today. It's been fun. My pleasure. I didn't mean to uh, jump in there, but when you spoke and then there was a pause, I was waiting for Peter to speak and no one was saying anything. I don't know how you guys write your show, so I just uh, jumped in there. That's my fault. That's on me. We're still working on our host, but uh, he's getting yeah, there okay. after. All right. Well, yeah, it's I only a few hundred. There I should know. No, no, you did. It's all on me, Rick. You did, you did fine. <laughs> Always a pleasure talking to you guys. Take care. You know what, Pierre? We're going to take a break in, in just a second. But how good a guy is Rick Bonus? I botched the opening. He apologizes at the end. It, you know what? He, you are right. Good things happen to good people. Um, and we're not going to botch this part because we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little Dallas Stars, Rick Bonus, and some other hockey stuff as we close out Two Man Advantage for this week. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You have talked to Rick many times over the years, and uh, it, it really is a, a case where, you know, someone who knows the game, 
deeply and cares about it deeply and gets a chance really probably much later than people thought would ever you know, happen again. And Rick Bonus, I thought, did a, an outstanding job with that Dallas Stars team. And you think of all of the contributors and the ups and downs and, and making it to game six of that Stanley Cup final. That was an outstanding job by Rick Bonus. And, uh, mm-hmm. and and I'm fascinated to see what you think, you know, because sometimes the, you know, that hangover year, you know, when you go to the final and you lose, of course, we he was part of that Vancouver team in 2011, the coaching staff with uh, Alain Vigneault losing game seven against Boston. So he understands the dynamic. But what do you think of that Dallas team as we as we contemplate what next season might look like, but where Dallas sort of fits into that, that group in the Western Conference? Yeah, I think that uh, the one thing that their march to the final taught me uh, is that they were a lot deeper a team than I had given them credit for, to be honest. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think that's the great lesson that I got from really paying attention to their team game and, and the way they won games and the way they got contributions from different players. So I think that's still there when they come back. I do worry about, uh, you know, is Ben Bishop going to hold up, for example? I mean, hopefully the time off now will have put him right back to health and so on because you're going to need two healthy starters as we talked about, right? Um, and to be fair, I still think that all roads lead through Colorado and Vegas, even though Dallas beat them both. But when I look at the talent level in the Western Conference, I think Colorado is a team to beat going into next season, and I think Vegas isn't too far behind. So those are just realities. And, and you know, Rick said himself, no guarantees of making the playoffs and the, the parody is, is, is crazy. And, and, you know, Dallas is going to make the playoffs, I think for sure. But in terms of going back to a final, there's, there's a lot of teams that have that shot in my mind. Yeah. And you know what the, it just, there's such an interesting team though, because you, you know that Miro Haskin in on the back end is, is that he's, He's already stars. I think I put him right in that category with the Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes and the rest of the, the you know the the bright defensive stars in the yeah. NHL. I, I probably John Seth Klinger. Jones at the top of that list in Seth terms Jones? of seniority, just because he's a bit older. But you know, yeah. sort of interrupt. But it's so interesting to me. We've had kind of a weird. I don't want to say weird. No one has grabbed the Norris Trophy and made it their own in quite a while now. And I'm not suggesting we're going to have an era where it's you know, Ray Bork and then Nick Litchum and so on and so on. But but it, we've had a lot of different winners. And I'm wondering at some point where it really becomes about Jones and, and Hiskin and, and, and Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes between the four of them, you know? Yeah. Um, although, again, Victor Hedman after his playoffs might have a word or two to say about that before his career is over. Yeah. Well, and my, I guess I was just going to mention that I thought John Klingberg was so good uh, in the playoffs and really, and, and uh, you know, the ability now for Rick Bonus to you sort of have an 1A, 1 and 1A in terms of elite puck-moving offensive defensemen, um, you know, that's a that's a pretty good luxury for the Stars to have. And, and you know, Dennis Gurionov just signs a new deal. Um, it really is sort of an interesting balance to attack. Rope Hints was, was injured um, and not certainly 100% like a lot of the Stars players. Um, but he is blazingly fast high-end skill it's i i I am curious i'm with you i I, no question colorado and vegas um still to me remain you know the 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 cream of maybe the maybe the entire nhl but certainly the cream of the western conference crop but i'll tell you i I don't doubt that dallas is going to have a say in it regardless of the format and and when the next season comes around 
No, I, I agree with you, Scotty, for sure. And, and, you know, I think that it was huge, too, to get uh, Hudobin back in the fold because it's one thing to say, well, listen, we couldn't afford him because of the cap and we'll just bring in another veteran backup. But I just, that's not the same dynamic to me because, you know, I thought it was interesting for Bonus to talk about the trust that the players have in him. You know, you bring in a new guy, is it the same trust? Is it the same dynamic? You know, the relationship the two goalies have there in Dallas. So that was huge too in terms of off-season stories. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And Scotty, before we go, uh, important for us to uh, to discuss uh, what's been a, a difficult and important story this week, the story of Coyotes draft pick uh, Mitchell Miller. Um, you wrote a really strong column on it. Um, I want to commend you on that. And just wondered, you know, since you wrote it, have you had some feedback? And, and, and again, the difficulty of the story, reading Aaron Portsline's excellent story on it too, you know, to me, at the heart of all this, the lack of an apology, right? That's that. That's the heart of it. I mean, listen, I'm all for second chances and people growing for sure. But the lack of the apology is at the heart of the story for me. Yeah, and and uh, thank you, Pierre. And, I, and you're right, Aaron Portsline, uh, outstanding job. He'd really been... Um, sort of reporting this story for quite some time. And, of course, uh, the, the victim, well, and Mitchell Miller, both from Ohio, uh, from the Toledo area. So, um, it, you know, and, and I think part of the, you know, part of, there's lots of layers to this. And, and you're right, the fact that, you know, according to the victim's family, there's never been a formal apology. And and I guess I, I especially look at it, listen, the Arizona Coyotes, they make the decision to draft a player, Fully knowing his background, knowing the story of the racially, um, the racial assault and the bullying, uh, it's 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 horrific stuff. It's hard stuff to read, and it's very it's so hard to listen to what the family, you know, how it's Im- impacted the the victim and the victim's family. Um, so you know that going in, and you don't reach out to the family. There's no attempt to, you know, bridge the gap and to acknowledge the victim's role in this. And you're right, the the you know, from the player himself, and and for me from the team too. Well, how if you are going to knowingly bring a player like this who has this backstory, who has this incident in his past, that you owe it to the victim's family to to try and engage them. And I think that's what often gets lost in these kinds of things is that the victims are, are tossed to the side. And, you know, whatever you believe about what, what Mitchell um, 
Miller should be allowed to do moving forward, I think it's important not to lose sight of the victim and the victim's family and all that goes on on that side of the equation. It can't get lost, and it often does. And you know, it's I I just think it's I think it's discouraging even from you know sort of the league perspective. I mean, there's no you know when we talk so much about Black Lives Matter and we talk about, you know, the various things that the league is trying to do, the committees to deal with racism and inclusivity, mm-hmm. um, I, I just think this, it, 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 the, it just seems that we, we the message hasn't got through. Uh, and I don't know what you, because like, I know Darren uh, Dreger has talked about it on TSN Radio, and I don't know what your take is on it. But, you know, it's if you're a team that is trying to send a message in a community like, uh, like the Arizona Coyotes are, um, I, I think this, I think it's the message gets confused, right? I mean, what, what are you trying to say about your team and the kind of, the, the kind of uh, players you want on your team? Yeah. And again, it's, it, it's not like I don't believe in second chances, but from what I'm reading and I, you know, I haven't been personally involved in the reporting on this story, but from what I'm reading from you and, and Aaron and some of the reporting, uh, Frank Cervelli at TSN, uh, doesn't seem like Miller to me has has gone through the necessary steps here to make amends for what's happened and and to to show remorse and and growth you know and again I, I want to say that again I'm not involved in reporting on the story but that's what I'm reading and and that's hard that, that to me is a red flag if I'm a team looking at to draft him right and obviously some teams decided to, to put him on the do not draft list, right? After after doing their own investigating. So it's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that we had the reporting we had on it and, and it's not done. Well, let's see where this yeah. goes now. Yeah, I'm with you. It'll be interesting to see. And I, I think a lot of, yeah, I think there is a lot more reporting to do. And I think there's a lot of response now from the Coyotes, from Mitchell Miller. Um, and, and let's hope that we, you know, keep the the victim and the victim's family, you know, Isaiah and his his family. They they have to be part of this, and I think that's hopefully that's a lesson that we learn in something like this. Is it to, that it's not you can't just look at these things in a vacuum. What happens to the player? What kind of impact can he have on the team? Um, this kind of kind of incident is reprehensible, and, and people have to answer for it. So. Um, all right, I want to. So we're going to close out here in a minute. But I want to. I want to make note of. Uh, it was a sad day, but uh, I was so impressed, Pierre, uh, to read the stories and the uh, the accolades and people reaching out after the after Joey Moss, a longtime uh, dressing room attendant and uh, fixture with both the Edmonton Oilers. And the Edmonton Eskimos of the CFL he passed away this week. And uh, I don't know if you had a chance to sort of cross paths with Joey Moss over the years, but certainly, I, like, I, is there anyone in the game of hockey mm-hmm. who's followed it for any amount of time that wasn't aware, uh, at least on some level, of, of who Joey Moss was? And I just, I, I just thought, I found it so heartwarming mm-hmm. um, to. to to read and listen to what people were saying um, as, when he passed away this week. And I, I don't know what it, what it meant to you or how you felt about it, but I just, I thought it was a really, it was kind of a special time. And it, even though it was very sad, obviously, but a, a really special time and, and brought a lot of people in the Canadian sports world and, and the game of hockey together. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, amazing to see the reaction. Um, 
uh, from Euler's past and, and present and um, really genuine, you know, uh, in terms of the emotion of it and, you know, Wayne Gretzky l- leading the way. But but I didn't know Joey Moss myself, uh, but knew how the Oilers organization over the years felt. And, and uh, boy, that, that reaction, it was just so candid to me from all the former players and it really speaks volumes. Yeah, good stuff. All right, my friend. Well, listen, we're going to take a little bit of a break here, as you, as you and I have talked about, little, sort of little hi- hiatus, as because November hiatus. because November's like August should be. This is the August <laughs> of the off That's right. season. Just gonna have to wear have to wear different layers, but uh, we will be back if there's uh, breaking news and things that warrant it. But we're going to take a little time off here in this unusual of off seasons, and as the league and the players try and sort through what 20 slash 21 might look like. Uh, in the interim, you should listen to uh, Doc Emmerich, hockey greats, luminaries. Doc just announcing his retirement a couple weeks ago. He joins Craig Custance for the full 60 this week at The Athletic. And you should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And sometime sooner than later, my friend, you and I will reconvene in this space. And as always, I will look forward to just that moment. Right on, right on. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.